Our call to worship today comes from Second Samuel 22, and it comes from words that David sang and spoke at the end of his life after God had delivered him from all of his enemies. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my saviour. For who is God but the Lord, who is a rock except our God? The Lord lives, blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. This is our call to worship, and we turn to worship God by singing to his praise from Psalm number 118, and sing Psalms. It's on page 156 of the Psalm book. And we're singing in verse number 19, down to the end of the psalm. Psalm 118, verse number 19, down to the end of the psalm. And this itself speaks to us of something of the glory of our Saviour and the fact that though he was rejected, that he is the one who was glorified and raised up by God. At verse number 19, Throw wide the gates of righteousness, I'll enter and give thanks to God. This is the gate of God through which the righteous come before the Lord. We remain seated to sing from verse 19 to the end of the psalm.
join together in prayer. Let's stand to pray. Eternal and most gracious God, we rejoice in the worship of your name. You are the only true and living God. We rejoice in the words of David when he was able to say, The Lord lives as his rock and his refuge and his salvation. And we come near to you today in this time of worship, seeking to lay hold of you with all of our hearts, seeking the grace and the faith through which we would embrace your word and your promises, and through which we would come truly into your presence, realizing deeply in our hearts that whoever else is here with us, that our God is in this place. And help us in the depths of our hearts to come face to face with the reality that is the only true and living God that you are. Help us to lay to heart the truth about how different, how separate, how far from us you are and the perfection and the beauty and the holiness that belongs to you. Help us to wonder that we can, at your invitation, draw near to you. And help us to fall down and to worship you because you have so made yourself known in the gospel to us. May we today find in our hearts love for your name, love for your word, and love for your son, so that all that the gospel speaks of with regard to your son would be the means of giving us strength and purpose and direction in life and will give to us much more than that, that will give to us the horizon of the future glory that your Son has secured for us. Give to us such an understanding of the death and resurrection of your Son and of your word that speaks of him, so that our joy would not be confined and bound by this world in which we live, but help us to rejoice that because he lives, we shall live also. Because he is glorified, that we shall be glorified with him. And help us to have joy that in the newness of that resurrection morning, when the stone had been rolled away and the tomb was empty, Help us to appreciate that this was nothing less than the beginning of the new creation of God, where we have a Saviour who is King and Head of His Church, where we have people concerning whom it is true that they are new creations in Christ Jesus, that the old has passed and the new has come, and help us to rejoice and all these things are taking place and are possible 
because of the power of the resurrection of your Son. And bless all of our hearts today with a sense of such power changing us from within. There is no greater marvel in the whole history of this world than the resurrection of your Son. And alongside of it, there is the great marvel of people like yourselves brought from darkness to light and brought into the kingdom of your Son, born again into the kingdom of God, becoming the children of God and living for you here in this world. And so bless this day to us, bless your word to us, and may all of our encouragements come today from the words of the gospel, from the promises that you have spoken, and from the certainty attached to these promises, because they are spoken by the great God that you are, who is faithful, who is reliable, who is able and capable and all-powerful to ensure that all that you have spoken will certainly come to pass. Would you pray for your blessing to be therefore upon each one of us personally before you here today. Speak peace to every heart, and may every heart that looks to you even now that desires after you, may they know your desire for them, and may they know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And may every desire find satisfaction today and coming to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the resurrection and the life, and coming therefore to have that hope of glory and that strength day by day to live in expectation and in longing, as well as the security of salvation because of what your Son has achieved, to know also the security of the fact that he will return and that he will return to gather his people to be with himself. We pray for your blessing to be upon all of our people. We long that the power that with which Christ was raised from the grave by you would work in all our homes and in all our families and would bring that newness and that hope into people's hearts and lives, whatever their experience and circumstances might be today, we pray that for every home there would be the light and the hope of the gospel shining brightly, and that hearts may be moved toward you and come like those who we're going to read of shortly, those who desire to see Jesus and to sit with him. We pray for your blessing to be upon those who are unwell, especially those who are seriously ill, and we ask your hand to be upon them to give healing and to give recovery and to give hope in the midst of the pain of sore affliction. May you give to them uh, your peace in their hearts and may you give them to know that you are the shepherd who is with them. We pray also for comfort for the grieving around ourselves and in our wider communities. May you bless today those who do need you who have broken hearts and who have empty places in their hearts and in their homes. Bless our nation and our land. Bless our royal family. Bless the Queen and all connected to her. We pray grace for her. We pray blessing to be upon her and upon 
her whole family. And we pray that on this Lord's Day, when much is made of the resurrection of your Son, we pray that the power of the Gospel, as the Word which is the breath of God, would reach out to many hearts and would be the means of bringing about great change in the society in which we live, turning people back to yourself and giving to our generation, our culture, our society, that kind of hope and direction which only your word can give and which will bring us to that place where we'll prosper truly in the light of your word and with the riches of your heavenly kingdom. Bless the nations of the earth. Bless the missionary work of the church. Bless the Ukraine. We continue to pray for uh, that whole nation and the aggression and the atrocities and the suffering of these days, the destruction not only of property, but the destruction of lives so cruelly. We ask, O Lord, for your mercy, for your compassion, and for you to rescue them from the plight in which they find themselves and to bring the war situation to an end and to cause peace to reign, we do pray. Strengthen and give grace every day to those who are suffering during these days in that part of the world. We pray for your blessing to be upon us now as we commit all of these petitions and prayers to you. Pray for your blessing to be upon your word to us as we share in it together and as we seek to hear what you have to say to us. We pray that you will speak to us with power. We pray that you will bless us in your mercy and you will hear our prayer for giving us. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, I am conscious that we don't have children actually present, but I'm expecting that there will be some of the children who aren't able to be here who will be listening online even if they cannot see us. So I want to think today in our children's address about the passage that we're going to read about, and it's a story about the death and resurrection of Jesus, and especially the resurrection of Jesus, where Jesus says in John chapter 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I want to think, first of all, of the death of which Jesus speaks. This was a special time for the Lord Jesus. He knew it was a special time. He knew it was a time when he was going to be crucified. And those who were his enemies made sure that he was, and they nailed him to the tree. And when the soldiers came to push to make sure that all those who were crucified were, were dead, they came to Jesus and they found that he was already dead. And the death of Jesus on Good Friday brought about much sadness uh, to those who expected that Jesus was going to save them. They were sad because their hope was lost. And there is a story told about a lady called Henriette who was from Hanover in Germany. And she didn't believe in the resurrection. And when she died at the age of 26, she had left instructions for her burial. And they were going to place huge slabs of granite and marble and cement them all together, place them over her grave and tie them down with heavy steel clips. And there was an inscription on her uh, tomb, this grave purchased for eternity, must never be opened. She wanted to make sure that a grave was never opened. She didn't believe in the resurrection, and if there was one, 
She didn't want the resurrection to come anywhere near to her. And in many ways, that's a sadness that we have with the disciples and those who followed Jesus on the evening of Good Friday. Their hope is gone, and the soldiers have made sure that the tomb is sealed and secure so that the disciples won't come and take the body of Jesus away. The death on Good Friday was a time of sadness. It seemed like a time of victory as well for those who were the enemies of the Lord Jesus. But on Easter Sunday there was a discovery, and the discovery was that when Mary Magdalene came to the grave, that the grave was open, the stone had been rolled away, and the tomb was empty. And the angel came with the encouragement to them in their sadness, looking for the body of Jesus, that he is not here, he has risen, and he has done so as he has said. And the angel showed them where the body of Jesus was. And they were told to go and tell the disciples that Jesus was indeed alive. So where they thought that their hope came to an end was the very place where their hope reached a new level. And going back to the story of Henriette, before they closed the grave, the seed of a birch tree had fallen into the grave. And over time, the seed of the birch tree, a hardwood tree, established life and began to grow and peaked itself through beside the slabs. And as the trunk of the birch tree grew, the slabs which were supposed to be fixed secure so that this grave would never be opened, the slabs and the, the, the steel clips burst open because of the life that there was in the tree. It was impossible for the cement slabs to keep the seed of the birch tree in the grave. The life came through and burst the grave open. And that's the hope that we have in, in the gospel and in the resurrection of Jesus, the power that God has that the grave was not able to keep the Lord Jesus, that he rose from the dead with power. And when we come to our reading shortly, we will see that certain Greeks had a desire to see Jesus. And we come to worship God on Easter Sunday to think of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and we come with a promise that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, if we believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Saved for today, saved for tomorrow, and saved forevermore. So we have a death on Good Friday brings sadness. We have a discovery on Easter Sunday that brings great joy. And together let's have the desire today that the Greeks had, desire for Jesus and for the power of his resurrection in our own hearts and to believe in his name and to trust in him and we will have the hope of everlasting life. May God bless these thoughts to us. So I'm now going to praise God from Psalm number 92 in the Scottish Psalter, it's on page 353. And we're singing these verses thinking especially of uh, a plant that grows and that flourishes uh, as it bears forth fruit. Psalm 92 at verse number 12 
down to the end of the psalm. But like the palm tree flourishing shall be the righteous one. He shall like to the cedar grow that is in Lebanon. From verse 12 to the end of the psalm to God's praise. But like the palm tree flourishing shall be Turn together now to the Word of God and to the New Testament, to the Gospel according to John and chapter 12. The Gospel of John, chapter 12, and reading at verse number 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went to meet him crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. 
So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida and Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Amen. This is God's word. We trust that he will bless to us that reading from it. It's true in every area of life that there are particular seasons to have particular activities and to be engaged in certain things. And the Bible itself from the very beginning reminds us that there is seed time and harvest time. There is a time for cold and heat. There is summer and winter. And in that great passage in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 3, God tells us that there is a time to plant and a time to pluck up. And for these particular seasons and times, we have particular signs. And these signs encourage us to do certain things at the appropriate time. And the springtime itself is one such time of year. There are signs, we see signs of life, encouraging us to be engaged in things like planting and, and doing so with looking forward to the future. There are signs which remind us that we do things at certain times. As we read this passage, there are two particular things that draw attention to what's happening in the words of Jesus. And the first thing is the location. Where we are is never an accident. Where we are is fixed by God. And when we come to these words, we see that a large crowd has gathered in Jerusalem. They have heard that Jesus is coming and they have taken branches and palm trees and laid them on the road before Jesus. Jesus has come to the center of gravity of the covenant people of God, and he has done so. And when they see him coming, they reckon that he's here to be crowned as king. And they are looking at the words of Zechariah chapter 9, fulfilled as Jesus walks into the city. It's a great location. It's also a great occasion because they are gathered for the feast the feast of the Passover, which is a memorial that the people of God have 
through which they remember God taking them out of the land of Egypt. In other words, when they celebrate the Passover, they are looking back at their own origins. They are looking back at how God rescued and redeemed them and made them the people that they are. And so we have a picture of seasons and of signs. We have a picture that takes place in a particular key location. And we have a picture, a story that takes place to mark, or in the middle of marking a special occasion in the lives of the people of God. And when we think of that, we want to think today of the the cross of Jesus and the reproduction of life. Here is the key moment in the life of the Lord Jesus. What does it say to us today on this first day of the week, the resurrection of our Lord? I want to see, first of all, from the words that we have a proclamation. And the proclamation made by Jesus is prompted by the presence of certain people. And it's wonderful today that that we can think of God himself being moved to do certain things that he has said he would do because certain people are present. Because you are here, God may be working and beginning to work in response to your presence here. And we see on this occasion, in verse number 20, that there were Greeks who had come up to the feast to worship. They had come along with the people of God to celebrate the Passover, to to worship with the people of God on this special occasion. And when we read that they came as Greeks, we see that they are people who did not belong to the covenant people of God. They had joined with them because they were drawn by the teaching of Jesus and by his example and by his powerful signs, and they are drawn to him, and they are coming wanting to see Jesus. A people who desire, with all of their energy, having been at the Passover, we can think of of their minds overflowing with questions. Minds overflowing with questions that they see only Jesus having the answer to. And because of that, in the midst of, of this crowd, they are determined to come and to find Jesus so that he will answer them in all of their names. And the significance of their being here is the explanation of the words that we have at the end of verse 19. How is this a prompt for the Lord Jesus? Because the Pharisees are saying, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And the very message to Jesus that the Greeks are here looking for him alerts him to the fact, not that he was ignorant of it, but alerts him to the fact that his work is for the world. His work is not just for those who are the covenant people of God. His work is to reach all of the nations of the earth. And as soon as he hears that the Greeks are here, He makes the proclamation. There is no account that he 
met with them or went to answer their questions, their questions prompted him, their desire prompted him to make this special proclamation to the disciples. And the proclamation is what we have in, in verse number 23. Jesus answered, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus lived his life in this gospel especially, and no one could harm him because his hour had not yet come. He was conscious in his own living and conscious in his own thinking that there was a particular hour, not 60 minutes, but a particular period of time when everything that he was coming to do would be accomplished and when the promise of God would be fulfilled. And now he is proclaiming to the disciples that that hour, which had not come up until now, had now actually started. And the, the message of, of the, the grammar that we have in these words is that the clock has started ticking on this hour. That from this point onwards, things are going to happen fairly quickly. The hour has come. What is the hour about? What does he want them to grasp with regard to this hour? For the Son of Man to be glorified. The Son of Man who is going to come with clouds into the presence of, of God in Daniel 7. The Son of Man to whom is going to be given a great kingdom and a dominion and a reign. The time has come, the hour has come for him to be glorified. And when you think of the glory of Jesus, we think first of all of the way in which his glory has been veiled. I see no glory in the manger in Bethlehem. I see no glory throughout his ministry. He looks like any other ordinary person. I hear of a glimpse of, of the curtain being drawn back on the mountain of transfiguration in passages like, like Matthew 17. And there Jesus is transfigured before them. His face shites, shines as bright as the sun and his clothing is as white as light. The radiance of his glory radiates out to those who are around him. A glimpse of who he is. And when Jesus now is saying to them that the hour has come for him to be glorified, we are to think of two particular things. And these two particular things, the first one has to do with his passion. If the glory is the radiance of the character of the being concerning whom the writer is writing, then we have the glory of the passion of the Son of God. That his glory is going to be revealed. And the second aspect of the glory is his glory as the redeemer of his people. He cannot have that glory now. He could not have that glory before he came into the manger in Bethlehem. He will have that glory when he finishes the work that God has given him to do. When, in, in the words of, of Jesus himself in John chapter 17, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. 
It's taking him into his own throne room and sitting him at his right hand with the glory of his person as the Son of God and the glory of, of him being as the mediator and the only one who can reconcile us to God, the one who has finished the saving work on the cross. And so for Jesus, when he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, he is focusing in his own thinking on what's really a home calling. He has been sent into the world for this work, for this period of time. The hour has now come for his departure from the world. And he is looking forward to the time when he is at the Father's right hand. The proclamation. And for ourselves today we think of the glory of the Son of God because of who he is. We think of his glory because of what he has done. And we think of his glory because of where he is. And when our faith lays hold of of the proclamation of Jesus in the gospel, our faith and our hope take us to where he is so that our celebration of, of his glory today is not confined to where we are. Of course, it takes place where we are. But it takes us from where we are to think of where we shall be in glory with him. The proclamation. Secondly, there is a process. And the process comes with a necessity. Of course it would. If there's a process certain things must be true. And Jesus, in order to highlight the process, draws upon a parable which he draws from the agricultural world around him. And we see in verse 24 that he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. A grain of We understand something of that because the grain of wheat has inside of it the potential for life to reproduce itself. If I plant a grain of wheat, I expect wheat to grow. And I plant the grain of wheat with that expectation And I do so with the knowledge that that grain of wheat has life within itself. And because of of the structure of that grain of wheat, because of the way in which that the embryo in that grain is going to receive food and the way in which is protected by its covering, the way in which it is going to be placed in the right environment to ensure that it will grow, I understand all of these things. I take the grain of wheat. If I substitute that for something that's perhaps more familiar from a crafting point of view, if I substitute that for the simple potato, if I'm going to plant my potatoes, I go and select my seed potato. I select them because 
they are showing signs of having life within them. I select them because they are the same size. I make sure that there's a uniformity about the seed potato, but I select them because of the life that I see inside them. And just like Jesus saying here, it falls into the earth and dies. That's the process. It's covered in the, with the earth, with the soil. It's embedded out of sight. And in the darkness of the soil, and because of the warmth and the moisture around it, because of the correct conditions, the grain of wheat, the seed potato, whatever grain it is, it begins to germinate. It breaks open, it breaks down, because the life that is within it is so powerful that it has to move ultimately towards the light and break forth through the soil and be seen as something that's evidence of the life that was there. But if I keep the grain of wheat in my drawer or or in a box somewhere and don't plant it, it's never going to produce life. Unless I put it into the earth and it dies, it will remain alone. The reality the parable. There needs to be selection of the seed. There needs to be the right environment for the seed. There needs to be the right climate for the seed to grow. There needs to be careful preparation. And when we think of the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is speaking these words, and he says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies. It's such a a personal message because I I read at the very beginning of the promise of God in the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 when sin has caused so much destruction in the world that God speaks his promises. And he does so to the serpent and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring. And from the moment that that promise was made, there is the expectation that the offspring, the seed of the woman, would come who would destroy the devil, as we see later on in in verse 31, that the seed of the woman would come to secure salvation for the people of God. And I come to the story of, of Abraham And the great promises to him that in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In your seed, in your offspring. Number the stars and and if you can number the stars so you will be able to number your own offspring. And Paul gently and clearly reminds us of what that promise means. Where in Galatians 3 he says, that God gave the promise to Abraham and to his offspring, not to his offspring or seed as of many, but to his offspring as one who is Christ. Who does the Son of Man think he is when he speaks these words? He knows that he's the seed of the woman. He knows that he is the seed of Abraham. 
He knows that he is the seed of God that has come into the world to save the people of God. And he knows that he is here as someone who has life within himself. As someone who has been selected by God, sent out as we read in Isaiah 42, what God says with regard to him, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. I see the Son of Man speaking these words. He has been selected by God for this purpose. He's full of life. God has given to him to have life in himself. If ever I was going to find life in anyone, I find it in all of its fullness in the person of the Son of God. And it is this seed of the woman, the Son of God, selected and filled with that life, that is now going to be planted in the ground. It has to fall into the earth. And here is the Son of Man who says in in chapter 10 of, of this gospel itself, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. He is going to surrender his life. To what? And that's where we have the process. The selection has taken place. The life is in the passion. The person is submissive to all that God has for him. I need to find the environment for the seed to, to be broken in such a way as to produce life. And I find that environment where Jesus himself says, I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to me. I see that environment on the cross. I see that This seed needs to be in darkness before it breaks up in order to bring forth fruit. And I hear from midday on Friday until 3 p.m. that there is darkness over the whole of the earth. And I hear the cry of the Son of God from that darkness, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The seed needs darkness more than light. To reproduce itself. And when I hear that cry from that darkness, it reminds me of of the kind of climate and of the, the warmth or the heat of the environment in which the Son of Man is on the cross at Calvary. I hear him saying in John chapter 19, I thirst. It's a hot place to be in. When I hear him saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It reminds me that the wrath of God is poured down upon the Son of Man on Calvary's cross in order for him to drink the cup that the Father has given to him. There is that process. Otherwise, he remains alone. And at the very essence of the process is that he himself has to endure not only the brokenness, but that he has to endure the aloneness and the separation so that 
Afterwards, he will not be alone. And when I see him in that darkness on the cross at Calvary, that's where he is. He is separated from God. He is separated from the world. Disciples have left him. The sword of the justice of God has pierced his heart. The seed in its environment. And then I hear him saying in chapter 19 at verse 20. I hear him saying, finished. The process of breaking up. The process of his body being out of joint. The process of his heart melting like wax. That process has come to an end. And they came to Jesus. And he was already dead. Having, says John, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. The perfect process. The perfect seed. The perfect environment. The perfect plan. And Jesus is glorified in his cross. It doesn't seem to make sense to us naturally. How could we have glory when the person is enduring such shame? But the greater the shame and, and the abandonment of the, of the cross, the more we see the glory of who the person of the Son of God is and the glory of what he is enduring on our behalf. The process. We are, need and we do understand that when Jesus is on the cross, that he is bearing our sin, he is making his soul an offering for sin. He is bearing out curse. He's made a curse for us. He's redeeming us from the curse of our sin. The process is so central to all that we have as the people of God. And unless this process is completed in all of its perfection, he will remain alone. And that brings us, thirdly, to the produce or the product. If it dies, it bears much fruit. It breaks out in all of its glory. In the work of creation, God created the seed with the, the, the grain with a seed in itself to produce according to its kind. And in the resurrection of Jesus, when they come to, to look for him in the tomb on the first day of the week, they find that the stone has rolled away and they're concluding that, that they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have laid him. And of course the Lord has been taken away, but not by his enemies. God has raised from the dead our Lord Jesus. Why are you looking for him here? He has risen as he told you. Go and tell the disciples this exciting news that Jesus has been raised from the dead. 
by the power of God the Father. And as soon as that takes place, there are disciples. There is fruit. Isaiah tells us in chapter 53 and verse 10, that great chapter about the the cross of Jesus, that when he will make his soul an offering for sin, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. The purpose of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As soon as we see Jesus is alive, exalted at the right hand of God, we see Jesus building his church with people like himself. And that's how Jesus goes on in verse number 25 and 26. What is the fruit? Where do we find the fruit? What kind of people do we see? Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. He is the life-giving spirit. He is the one who ensures new life for his children. And the fruit that he produces will be people like himself. And of course, that doesn't have to do with his perfection, but it has to do with living the life that he lived, surrendering to God in the way that he did, dying as if it were every day in order that we might live. It's that heart of of being of being the children of God through which we surrender ourselves to the God who has become our Father. And so we ourselves become the offspring of God. We become the seed of God. And Jesus is the firstborn amongst many brethren. We serve him and we follow him. And we live our lives following him as our master. We die in the sense that we take up our cross every day and follow him. And we have the same instinct and the the same desire for the kingdom of God and we are focused on the way in which ultimately, unless we surrender ourselves to the Lord Jesus, surrender ourselves to our God, then we will lose our lives. But if we do, if we follow him, if we are his disciples, the Father will honor all those who will serve him. And very simply, honor is about giving somebody the place that belongs to them, giving them that special honor and favor that belongs to who they are. And today there is no evident glory that appears in the face or in the lives of of any of those who are the children of God. The same was true in the life of the Lord Jesus. 
but those who are the children of God, who are following in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus, who are his disciples, the Father will one day honor them. And as surely as Jesus prayed and said that the hour has now come, come for the Son of Man to be glorified, so the day will come for you and I as the children of God when God our Father will honor us with glory, when he will invite us into the eternal glory of his Son, and when we ourselves will be glorified together with him, and understanding always that his glory is greater than ours, but we share in the essence of it as those who are saved by him. And so that, as he went to the cross, he had the sense of the home calling of the glory to which he was returning. And so we today, if we are the children of God, rejoicing in the cross of Jesus on, on, on Good Friday, the product of the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday, then we have that hope of glory. That's our horizon. And we live today for him and with him and follow him. But we know that one day we will be with him and we will enter that glory to be forevermore with the Lord. May the Lord bless to us his word. Let us join together in prayer. Gracious God, we do rejoice in you. You are the great God and saviour of your people. We continue to marvel at the way in which you have purposed and planned every step that you have taken and every step your Son has taken in order to be your saviour today. We bless and praise your name for that and help us to worship you in the worship of your name around your word and help us also to give our lives to you as that kind of living sacrifice day by day, transformed daily by the renewing of our minds through which we live to you and for you and to your glory. So bless your word as we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. The closing psalm is Psalm 22 in the Scottish Psalter. And at verse number 28, Psalm 22 on page 229 of the psalm book. And singing to the end of the psalm. And this is a psalm of the cross. We see that the psalm begins with the very words which Jesus spoke on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At verse 28, because the kingdom to the Lord doth appertain us is, likewise among the nations, the governor he is. To the end of the psalm, to God's praise. Because the kingdom to
We'll stand for the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.